This podcast series is brought to you from the University of Winchester. We invite you to listen in as we talk with both academics and practitioners about their approaches to peace building and conflict transformation, discussing some of the most complex and pressing challenges we face in the world today. Welcome to this podcast. Today we have the amazing Gwendolyn Myers with us. She is the founder and director of Messages of Peace in Liberia, uh, and she's also an alumni of our MA program uh, in Reconciliation and Peacebuilding at the University of Winchester. Thank you so much for taking part in this, Gwen. Um, how did you get involved in peacebuilding? Uh, so, first of all, I want to start off by saying thank you. Uh, thank you for this opportunity uh, to be part of this podcast. And uh, my name is Gwen, you've read the study. I'm a global youth peace and security advocate. So my whole passion is more about youth involvement in peace security issues uh, from the national to the, uh, from local to national and as well to the international levels. Uh, so my whole journey started off as a 13 year old little girl. And at the age of 13, I started up with the famous uh, Search for Common Ground. Uh, we call them the Search for Common Ground. It's, it's an international organization, but it has its local offices in uh, different countries, especially post-conflict countries. Uh, so Liberia actually had a program for them called uh, the Talking Drum Studio. It's part of the Search for Common Ground programs. And at 13 years old, I started producing one of the famous children's program at the Search for Common Ground Talking Drum Studio, which is called the Golden Kids News. And the Golden Kids News we talk about issues affecting and benefiting the lives of children. Uh, what are those issues confronting children? And it's something that we go into the field, collect content, uh, bring the materials, uh, be able to uh, do a full production around it so that the voices of children can be heard, especially around issues affecting and benefiting them. So there's something that I did uh, from 13 years until I actually reached up to the level of graduation from secondary school, and I was very active into that. So the, I always look at my journey to say my work with Search for Common Ground at a 13-year-old little girl, it actually helped a whole lot uh, with making the, making the person I am today. What I was able to be an advocate at such an age, at, at 13 years old, I was already an advocate for peace, uh, security, and development, but really with a focus on the young generation. You know, growing up, I went to do biology and chemistry. One of my religious mentors actually told me that that was the best thing for me to do. I have so much brain. I'm so clever. I'm so brilliant. And there's no future in being an peace advocate for a young woman who has so much future. So my religious mentor actually, he tried to put a hold with that passion. And it's something I'm so grateful to him for. Because always on my journey, I try to look back. Even some of the, uh, the feedbacks and stepbacks that you have, they are not necessarily meant to destroy you, but they are actually meant to help you to see things differently. So even till today, I'm still very grateful to that religious mentor of mine who tried to say there's no career in being a peace advocate for the young woman who he saw with so much brain and so much brilliance and all of that. I'm so thankful to him because that gave him the push to be the kind of young woman I am today, especially to be recognized by Times Magazine as top eight young reformers across the globe, to be recognized as top seven African young women are breaking barriers for peace building in Africa. So all of these different international recognitions, I see that push from that religious mentor because when people tell you you can't do it, it is left with you to be able to say, hey, where are the meaning? Especially for our young generation, we need to be able to tell 
our mentors, our guardians in a very respectful way, depending on your different context, your situation. And that's what I was able to do with my religious mentor. I respectfully declined that and said, listen, I'm going to show to you there is much more caring in being a peace advocate. And today, that same religious mentor, he's been able to come back and reestablish contact and say, you told me you were going to do it. And I can see you are even doing this in a much more grand style in a class. So I really want to say thank you. So that entire journey, I mean, with the whole stuff that started, I went to do the biology. Yes, I did the chemistry. I graduated from my undergrad. I was ready to go to medical school. But all along during my secondary and during my tertiary education, even when I was doing the biology and chemistry, I was actually still doing my peace building work, volunteering my services, even on campus, uh, because the university I went to, the college I went to, a model Parting College of Health Sciences. So we have this American, which is she's the dean of the model Parting College. Uh, honestly, she always used to call upon me whenever there's a confusion, a conflict, even with other students. Sister will always come. She's a Reverend, a Reverend sister. She's a nun, and she will always come over to you know to my class and say, "Hey, Gwen, come over and come help to settle this thing." So it's something that my peers and people saw within me and they knew I was able to do this. I had a passion for it. So though I was only doing biology, sister would call me from the classroom to still be able to help administration to resolve conflict. And so I graduated. And then yes, still by the time I dropped my pen, the very day I dropped my pen for my undergraduate, I got a, a scholarship to study peace building and leadership at Eastern Mennonite University uh, in, in Harrisonburg, Virginia. So I, I mean, like that was how it all started off. But even when I was in the school, I started this whole nonprofit thing with a group of young people, the Messengers of Peace. So at the age of 17, remember that I said from 13 years old, I started with Search for Common Ground, being an advocate. And then at the age of 17, I started with the Messengers of Peace. So I became the founder and executive director of Messengers of Peace at the age of 17. That is bringing the voices of young people actively into peace, security, and development. And that has been the journey and up to today's date. Just 17, uh, September 17 of this year, Messengers of Peace will just celebrate a 12 years of active youth peace and security work, being very consistent, not a day, not a break in, been very consistent for 12 years into active peace and security work as a nonprofit and a youth-led, youth-driven organization. So yes, that is just it. So can you tell us about some of the activities you do with the young people? So in Messengers of Peace, um, our work is primarily around advocacy. So we have a, our strength is really in advocating, advocating for peace, uh, young people voices to be reflected. So we say what is, uh, in terms of whatever levels of peace building, the different thematics and everything we look at. So whether it's negotiation, whether it's mediation, whether it's dialogue, whether it's just facilitating, whatever it is in terms of peace building, young people should be part and parcel of it. Young people should be part from the very beginning of formulation so from the very point in time that you have the thought that I need to do this program, you should include young people. So from that very formation, you should get young people to be part of the design. You should get young people to be part of the process. You should be, get young people to also form part of the implementation. So there's not just older people. We always like to say this in our advocacy, don't just go on and bring programs and throw it on young people. We are not just there to receive something that you prepared for us. Make us to be part of it so that it is inclusive. We're talking about inclusivity. So that is something very important. So I'm also, I always say my work is cross-cutting. Yes, I represent young people, but I'm a woman. Gender issue also comes to play into it. So it's a cross-cutting, and that's what makes my work very unique.
because it's also for young people and it's also reflecting the world of young women as well in this building. And that is what we're trying to look at the whole 1325 and connecting these resolutions. What is 1325 and how we say connecting to uh, connecting to the youth peace and security agenda, which is 2250, uh, 2419, and recently adopted the UN just added another one in just year 2020, which is 2535. And 2535 now is saying it is time to act. It's no longer just talking, it is time to act. And that's what we do. So advocacy is our strength. And we're very much instrumental also for messengers of peace. I did the first ever official address to the UN Peace Building Commission uh, in 2015, advocating for Security Council to adopt Resolution 2250. So I was the one who did the first ever official address to the United Nations Peace Building Commission in New York on the 23rd of November. I addressed member states and pleading on to them to make sure together it's a work that was done collectively. I was one of the one asked to bring the battle to the finishing line. So that was just my part of the job there to do. So there's something that has been done by different international youth organizations. And I would just ask to bring the perspective of messengers of peace from Liberia, from a post-conflict country, how relevant it is to add on to the many voices that were already on the stage to bring the battle to a finishing line and ask Security Council to adopt security, uh, resolution 2250. So advocacy is something we really do at the level of, being of the AU, uh, the African Union, different international organizations, we do that on a daily basis together with international partners. So apart from advocacy for peace, our young people in peace, security and development, we also do a lot of mentoring and coaching. We realize the generation we're dealing with, we can't just talk about peace building because yes, they might have ideas, they might have the passion, but we still need to mentor. So mentorship plays a very major role in our whole effort and our drive for the youth peace and security agenda. And as well, tidy in to the whole wide young women mediators, which just link more to 1325. We need mentors. So we try to connect young people with professional people out there. So whether it's, it's personal mentorship or professional mentorship, we need the guardians. We need mentors that will be ready to go all the way with us to the end of it for the passion and understanding this work that we do. So we also make ourselves available day in and day out. I really spend more of my time doing mentorship for young people in Liberia, and not just Liberia, because I have a program now that's on the internet that is also moving on a global platform. It's called Mentor Talk. So Mentor Talk, I also have young people from other African countries that I spend my time on a daily basis just providing mentorship and coaching to them, whatever areas that they want to focus in, whatever youth work that they want to do on the continent, I'm there to give them a coach and pitch different ideas and things to them, and even help them with the ideas that they have and try to fine tune it a little bit because of the expertise now that I bring to this field as a young woman with 12 years of experience doing youth and peace building work. So apart from mentorship and coaching, we've also uh, actively involved into what we call community outreach and engagement. So our community outreach and engagement programs is where we go into communities and we just try to build the hopes of people because we realize we live in a society that a lot of difficulties and challenges around us. But as young peace builders, we just want to be able to restore hope, to give people, make people to realize there is still room. There is still an opportunity to keep trusting and keep hoping. We gotta keep trusting the process until it is over. It is not yet over until it is over. So we go into communities, have a conversation with these people from village to village, from town to town, and be able to have that dialogue facilitation with people. And that's what our dialogue effort comes in a much more stronger because we have dialogue facilitation with community dwellers Oh, what are those things that are hindering peace in your community? We just talk to people, we facilitate it. And those things that they talk about, 
because as we facilitate, and that's the beauty of a dialogue, you help the people to even find their own solutions together. It is right there. You just need to facilitate it with them. So we have that community dialogue initiative that is ongoing for our programs. We can't leave off the road of the media. Obviously, this is the reason why you're doing this podcast even today, because it tells you how important and effective it is. And if we do not get our messages across, whether we live in a digital age now, so we make use of the digital media as well and all the different channels of communication. Uh, so whether it's using social media platforms, uh, whether it's using the traditional method of communication, we need to also be effective with it in our work. And that's what, through that process, a lot of people get to also learn, people get to be inspired because the work we do, it is not a work that is really attractive a lot for a lot of people. Peace building work is not so attractive. I like to say it is not sexy. I really like to use that to say that because if it's not sexy, then it means that we need to make, we need to do all we can in our daily work, in our innovation, our creativity, of the different things to put around it to make peace building work to be really more attractive uh, to people. Because we need to get more people on board for that collaborative effort and for inclusivity. We need to bring all hands on deck to do this peace building work. And so this is what I appreciate even what you, people are doing from the University of Manchester to make sure that people understand the different things, even what your alumni are doing in different parts of the world. Because it's a fantastic program that so you have your peace building program. It's a very unique program and it's very important that people get to know what exactly your products are doing. They are changing things. They are making waves, especially in the peace and security sector across the globe. So hats up and thumbs up to University of Manchester for your uh, knowledge the tools that you provided, you provided the tools for us, and we are just here doing the work as the tools that are provided to us. And also as part of what we do, uh, when we look at also from the road of the media, we also have something in our work, we say psychosocial, uh, the psychosocial trauma and awareness program. We added that component to our work. Again, you can't be doing peace building work if you do not look at it from a psychosocial standpoint. You can't be telling people about peace if we do not be able to take care of that aspect of your life. So for us, in our day-to-day -day work, we also have even positions that are created in Messengers of Peace. We have a psychosocial support officer in Messengers of Peace. So that means if there are things going on even with volunteers, if there are things that are not going well with them, we need to be there. You can't build peace if people mindset, if people don't have that kind of support that they need to continue getting involved uh, and engaging in the different activities that we do. So we have this usual support group system there are young people who come, we have over 30 or 50 of them. They come to our offices on Fridays and we just provide support for them through psychosocial counseling. So people listen to the stories of other people and through that, they gain support and they're able to even deal with situations that they are confronted with. And that is very helpful for even the generation we are dealing with. And as we continue to say, we want them to be involved. They can't be involved if we do not take care of all the aspects that are hindering their involvement. So all of these different things that we put in place, we also have our cohort of young writers. The cohort of young writers and messengers of peace is also what we try to do, it's being innovative. We talk about what we put on the internet. In the Asian time that we live in, you definitely understand that we cannot be putting things on the internet that young people are not aware of what they are putting on the internet. The internet can be what it has a good side, it also has a damaging side. It depends on usage of the internet. So how are we educating young people to know what kind of messages and what information they put on the internet. That is very important. So our cohort of young writers is where we train young people who are just into writing specifically about peace building. We have a column that is run in one of the famous newspaper 
uh, in Liberia, the print media, called the Liberian Daily Observer newspaper. We have a special column there for Messengers of Peace, and our young cohorts of peace, peace writers, they write on different thematic issues happening in their communities or how they were able to resolve conflict and will take it to that particular peace column. And that is another way of engaging. On the digital media, we have trained our cohorts of young peace writers. They are there writing different things on what's happening, promoting messages of peace, and they just take onto the internet. Thank you. That all sounds amazing. Uh, what do you think are the main obstacles to involving youth in peace building at the moment? So there are some countries, and that's what these different resolutions are for. There are some countries, young people are dealing, they are still at the level of 20 to 50. So 20 to 50 are just saying young people should be involved. In my country, context Liberia, we are way beyond 20 to 50. Of the level of work being done by Messengers of Peace, where we're managing up to 1,500 young people. So that tells you we're building an army of young volunteers for peace. It's a movement. It's not turning into a whole movement for young people into peace building. So on the 419, it's now saying, Yes, resolution 2250 say young people should be involved. 2419 is saying it is time to get young people to be involved in peace processes. That has to do with negotiation. When you go for negotiation, you should have young people in the room. They should be leading the process as well along with the older ones. Also for mediation, there's nothing wrong to have young people part of mediation delegation. So we are at the level of 2419. And that is what you see even for our work, which I didn't even mention, it's a core part now we're training a cohort of young mediators. And that is really tied more into 2419. If you want young people to be part of peace processes, how do you do that? The peace processes is to train them to know what it is to be effective for dialogue and mediation. So we actually at that level, what our young volunteers now are mediating. And thankfully to Winchester, my dissertation was actually more about uh, designing the framework for community mediation. I see that to be even really more effective now. I'm already putting that into use because of the dissertation that I did. And so right now, that kind of laid the framework for me. And now we just train additional 50 young people into community mediation. I was not going, it was not possible to do that because of the knowledge and the skills, the research methodology and all of that from Winchester. I tell you now, elections are just December and we are now able to train 50 young people into community mediation in Liberia ahead of December's senatorial elections. These young people will be assigned into communities they will be assigned to polling stations or different places where people will be casting their votes. And these young mediators, community mediators, will be there because community mediation helps a whole lot with what we call conflict prevention. We're also looking more towards preventing conflict and not just resolving conflict. Our advocacy now should be more on how do we resolve instead of how do we even, uh, how do we prevent instead of how do we just resolve conflict. So mediation helps a whole lot. Dialogue and mediation helps us a lot. And also meaning now with 2435, the UN just added a new one. You know, this is what I say for us who into the youth and peace building work. It is really getting so interesting day by day. Imagine one agenda has three different resolutions. That is fantastic because it means the entire international community is telling you, this is an area of focus. This is an area that we need to pay attention to. For one agenda to have three major resolutions, 2250, 2419, and 2535, it says a whole lot about the importance of why young people need to be involved. Because if it's not so that much important, the UN will not spend their time and resources making sure through a daily lobbying and negotiations for us to have three resolutions just to a particular agenda of the YPS, which is the Youth Peace and Security Agenda. But if you talk about the challenges, I'll tell you it depends on different contexts, the different country contexts about what they encounter. So for Liberia, funding also is an issue. 
Because now, if we are way above just asking young people to be involved, we're now at implementation stage now of making young people involved in peace processes. We need to support young people. And it's the conversation we have with the UN and other international partners, especially for young people who easily get frustrated. You cannot tell them to be involved in peace. You cannot tell them to be heavily involved in peace processes. And then you're using a whole lot of bureaucratic structure for them to access funding. Yeah, funding might be there, but our advocacy now is how do we also take into consideration that the structures of accessing funding are not so bureaucratic for young people to access funding. So you cannot use the same bureaucratic structure you will use for big organizations like the international ones, uh, the different NGOs, and you say you use the same criteria for young people. Honestly, that will, no, that will not work. It will not work easily because you can't use that kind of measure for you to say young people should access funding who you find in the villages, who you find in towns, in the rural parts. And we do not want to exclude them. We need to be inclusive. So we need to also be able to adopt different channels or different means that young people can still access funding. We need to be able to find measures to adapt for funding mechanism to support youth-led and youth-driven peace-building organizations. So it's a major challenge. If you ask me up to today's date, it's what, even in our line of work, it's what is still serving as an obstacle to most of the things that we want to do. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in, in terms of funding in general, there's a lot of things that could be done a lot better. Uh, I think I have one, one final question. Where do you see yourself in five years' time? Oh, my God. So, <laughs> but celebrating 12 years, that is fantastic, but I think that's more that can be done. Yes, a lot of accolades and recognitions have come. Yes, I agree. I'm grateful. I'm thankful to God because my whole life is really on the movement. That's what you call by faith she leads. And it's another thing I really want to say. I can't do anything without mentioning that. It's an inspiration behind my entire journey. And it's because of my faith. My faith tells me everything is possible. And in my faith, I believe there's anything I can be able to do because it's deeply rooted in my faith. And that's why we've been able to break barriers. We've been able to reach how far we've reached as an organization. Even with funding or no funding, we've been able to reach and claim great ladders because of our faith. I need to really mention that whenever I'm doing any kind of thing for public engagement, because it's important for people to know that people who are driven by different things, but for me, for the inspiration, it is my faith. So in terms of five years from now, again, with that same faith, because it's not something I'm acting on my own. It's not something I'm just leading on my own. It means I'm leading by faith. And whatever that faith is, in the next five years, I look forward to extending this vision to go really much more international. Yes, I know as a person, and because of the different recognition, the organization, yes, you can say it's also international, but in terms of having establishment where we can be able to now say, yes, Messengers of Peace has really gone global in a way uh, where we have structures and we have different representation in different country contexts around the globe. Uh, and so, yes, we're just here, we're open to it and whatever way we can be effective, I really see my role more with helping countries, not just my own country, but also countries within the Mano River Union, within West Africa, within the region of Africa. Thank you so much for sharing all your experiences and, uh, and all your ideas. This has been really inspiring. So thank you for taking part. Thank you so much.